Hello. Hi, Jared. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you doing, Michael? All right. So, of course, I'm calling because we're about to release your episode of The Photo Show. What have you been up to? Um, teaching, man. How's that going? <laughs> it's going great. It's just, uh, uh, it's involved. It's just, it's just <laughs> I feel like it's all encompassing. Um, which is good is what you want. You know, you don't, it's, I remember the adjunct days and that's not all encompassing and you feel a little distant. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it's just like just committees and yeah. And then like grad students. And so, yeah, you just feel like you're just, it's great. It's great, but it's just time consuming. What courses are you teaching? Um, this year, uh, this semester rather, I'm teaching, um, like a photo one course where, you know, basic, it's a mostly digital, um, it's actually the, the big course for photography. And I have like a division. There's like eight, I think eight courses in photo one, like eight different divisions. And so I think they, what they try to do is to have like a core faculty member because it's mostly adjuncts, but I'm like uh, a core faculty member for like a tenure track. And so they have one of them teach that. And then I teach a documentary studies class, which is really fun. It's like right up my alley. It's right. kind of new ways, new approaches to documentary. Um, but it's just, and it's, you know, it's kind of thing I have like a certain, it's like documentary and social practice. Hmm. So it kind of starts out, more kind of documentary-esque, and I think it kind of leads to, like, I always say kind of like a Robert Adams, like, is it documentary, is it art, is it, you know, but socially engaged with the world, and, like, making comments, like, kind of, that's kind of where things head to. Nice. So, yeah, yeah. full full course workload, um, and, of course, you're, yeah, you're fully involved uh, with the committee work, I know what that's like. Uh, did you, um, was there uh, something coming up of yours or, or somebody else's, a book you've seen, a show you've seen, something you'd like to recommend? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, I really liked, I was at, uh, I really liked the Brooklyn Museum when I was there last. I thought that was, uh, there was it was a, a curated experience in within the Brooklyn Museum. Hmm. And it was like kind of like a greatest hits. But it's funny because it reminded me of the Whitney when I was in New York. And I saw the Whitney and I was kind of like, yeah, fine. Uh, the space is amazing, but it didn't do much for me. But when I went to the Brooklyn Museum, I was like, oh. And I was like super – I think they think their, their kind of statement too was more reflective of Brooklyn. And so it was like, as you can imagine, a lot more people of color. Um, and just, I was just really interested in the art that they had going on there. Oh, that's great. Well, yeah. thanks for checking in with us, and uh, we're going to start the show now. Oh, right on, man. Thank you. Uh, yeah, thank you. This has been an awesome experience. I appreciate it. Hi, Jared. Hey, Jared. Hey. <laughs> Thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, yeah, I'm psyched to be here. Can you, sorry, can you guys see me? Or is nope, there... you must have your uh, video turned off. My goodness, sorry. That's all right. It's a wonderful world of Skype. Oh, there we go. Okay, sorry, yes. There we are. <laughs> Not that it matters to the audience, because they can't see any of this. <laughs> Jared is now taking a sip from his NPR mug. <laughs> his giant NPR <laughs> mug. <laughs> Uh, so uh, with us today, my co-host Kai McBride. Hello, Kai. Hello. Uh, so you, you and Jared uh, know each other from Columbia, yes? Yeah. Um, Jared came into the program just as I was uh, starting to teach and uh, work there. So we kind of came in and through our different roles about the same time. And Jared also TA'd for me. 
for the high school class, right? Yep. Yeah, that was fun. We had a great time. How was summer. that, Jared? It was great. Um, yeah, that whole experience was amazing. I, t- I TA for almost everyone. Like I TA. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, I mean, obviously for Tom, I TA for Kai, Tom Roma, or yeah. Yola. I TA for Yola Dennis. Minakoff, Dennis mm-hmm. Santella. Yeah, you, you name it. The list. <laughs> I, uh, Janelle. Oh yeah, um, Janelle. Who, uh, who's the one that does the abstract but photography? Eileen with, Quinlan. Yeah, Eileen. I, yeah, I, yeah. You name it, I did for everyone. Wow, awesome. he really made the rounds there. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, I mean, that's like, I think, further along with the story. But yeah, I think that's like one reason why like you get so many various like teaching styles and you're trying to like whittle down to your own. But you see like, oh, okay, this person does that really well. I like the way they, you know, deal with like stress and problems, their knowledge base, and you try to, you know, make it your own. Yeah, so uh, let's let's roll it back to to how you got started. How did you get interested in photography? I think it's one of those things. Where, like I mean, my dad had an old camera. Uh, it's funny because I, I listened to some of the, like, your, the the podcast that you guys were on. Yeah, so it was like an old Minolta that I actually still have. Um, nice. It was one of these fancy things. But I think like um, either it was you, Michael, or the the first guest you had, Anibal Payawu. Yeah, it was a, a a chick. I was in high school, <laughs> and I remember I was that might have been both of her us. name too, yes. Jessica. I wanted her last name, but yeah, I was like photographing her. She liked it, and I could go to the dark room and give her prints, and yeah, you know, just corny shots around, like you know, all that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, but yeah, and so, but it was like I think for me, it was always been about like expressing myself. And then, like, like listening to like people, listening to you know some of the the other interviews, um, I think I was like, oh, I think that's where I kind of diverge a bit. For me, it's like I do. I'm old enough that I was only like darkroom was the only thing there wasn't digital around in like the mid '90s when I was photographing. So it's like, all right, obviously you go in the darkroom. Uh, I really love the idea of uh, at the time it was like a Walkman. And I could like be in there, have like my headphones on, and it was like like Wu Tang Clang was really big, and I can like blast with the Wu Tang, and I can be in the dark room, and just that whole yeah, the whole process. I was like really excited about. We're talking uh, about in, in high school. Yeah, We're, sorry, yeah. this is in high school. Yeah, and for, and this is in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, not my favorite place in the world, and so it was like a way to really like express the, the things that were going on in my head. Um, so at this time, it's like like I'm reading. Like, I'm in, like, AP Lit, and I'm reading, like, Native Son, and I'm reading, like, I just started reading Toni Morrison for the first time. You have all these thoughts, and you want to express them in certain ways, and photography was that outlet. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, even to this day, uh, you know, we tried having, in the Columbia Darkroom, having a stereo system that everyone could listen to, but inevitably, you go in there, and people are on their headphones listening to their own music, right? It's, like, part of the deal. It's, like, you get into this meditative state, and you want to have just your music or whatever you want to listen to while you're in there. Yeah, because you're in those trays and you're just there and you're trying to like rock back and forth and you got the sounds. Although I will say sometimes that was one thing I liked about like during class, I always like force students to like listen to essentially like my curating the the music. Mm. And so like you try to expand and so sometimes it'd be Reagan and sometimes it'll be the Smiths, like for some reason I like, you know, or Van Mort, whatever it may be that I think would inspire people. But when you're in your own time, obviously students do whatever they want. But yeah, yeah, I agree. So that, I hope that answers the question. Oh, absolutely. And and then after high school, uh, was it straight to undergrad? Yeah, yeah, it was straight to undergrad. Where was that? Uh, uh, I went to Dartmouth College in Hanover, New Hampshire, in the middle of nowhere. 
kind of like I guess you were here your conversation before. Where, like I, yeah, I came. I was always interested in photography, but like my parents like wouldn't like I wasn't really allowed to take art classes. Oh really? Nothing. Like a waste of time kind of thing? Yeah, or? like we don't come on. Like we no, you didn't. This is not the path. Uh, <laughs> And it's funny, in Mississippi, was like philosophy, anything was like close to philosophy, too. They were like dubious. So, right. the, um, so the arts and the liberal arts, uh, what were they, what do you think they were uh, interested in you becoming? Oh, a lawyer. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, my folks were black middle class folk who work hard, and they're just like, no, we're not, we're not. Um, it's and not so, too late, Jared. It's not too late. <laughs> yeah, His I, parents I are like, listening. <laughs> It was funny. Like I, I have a, like one of my really close friends from undergrad got married recently, and I gave a toast at his wedding. And um, I gave this toast, and I was just like, essentially, here's to not ever going to law school and just pursuing your <laughs> dreams. Um, that's always the fallback. If all goes, you know, it's like, shoot, I guess I'm going to law school, mm. um, and it's you know, shoot me in the head now. Uh, but 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 thankfully, so anyway, so um, in, when I was an undergrad, um, I think the compromise that I was an English major. And they're like, all right, that way I can read. They're like, okay, that's that's a base. Okay, we'll let you know, kind of let you slide on that. That's very pre-law, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then they're very um, like liberal arts in the classic sense, where like you can't even major in business. There is no pre-law. You can major in economics. Um, and so it's, it was like, all right, essentially English w- was a way of kind of being, or history was like a way of b- being pre-law. And it's like I always enjoyed reading and writing. I always, I always say I think you we enjoy it, we do well. I got like B's on my history like essays, and I got like A minuses on my English essays. So I was like, well, may I'll be an English major. But um, in terms, I guess photography, um, I started taking photography uh, like my junior year when I was in undergrad. What kind um, of what kind of program did they have there? Like how many uh, classes? Or they have a they had like it was real. It's like like you could maybe specialize in photography, but it was like for instance like. Easy, I tell my students a lot, easy, the most humbling experience I ever had, like, in my academic life, is that I had to take a drawing class. And it was, like, people who, like, love drawing for the sake of drawing, and then it was people who were, like, majors and, like, whatever, and it was, like, 30 people, and I was, like, noticeably, like, the top three worst. It was just, like, it was just, I can't draw that well. And so it's funny, I started, I started, going, I started to get into abstractions. I was like, oh, at least I can fake it a little bit. <laughs> but it, it was just it was just humbling, too, because it was like my like freshman year. And I took it, and it was a prereq for photography. It's the only reason why I took it. And I learned a lot. Like, I still, to this day, I see why they did it. But it was just like, it was just humbling, because like every day your mistakes are there for everyone to look at. And you got to talk about it, and you're a freshman, so you're trying to be cool and everything. And it was just like... I'm just, um, I, I kind of suck. I, and, and, and like, it made you have empathy for people like, you feel like like the, the fat kid in, in gym. And th- thanks, I've been fortunate that I was never that person. And so like, I was like, wow, it was like just super humbling. Um, but I took that, and what it was is that I was like honest, and I didn't lie about maybe being like a photo major, because that wasn't gonna happen, or an art major, it wasn't even a photo major, it was a studio art major. And so I didn't get in the class until my junior year. So like I would apply like almost every semester I was on campus, and it was like a six-person class. It was the dark room, so it was small. Wow, that is small. Wow. Yeah, and they were just like, yeah, majors get first preference. So finally, junior in out, I was upperclassman, so they gave me like, all right, right. And I was like, and I talked to Brian. I was like, Brian, man, you saw me in that class. Like, come on, I put my heart out. I sucked in front of everyone. Let me get into this class, man. And so by junior year, I finally was able to get in, and like I loved it. Um, I was fortunate, like. Uh, 
there's a thing where you get like an A plus thing called a citation. I got a citation. Like I did, um, it was great. It was like open my eyes to everything. Um, Brian Miller is the professor's name. Like he really, he put me on to a bunch of stuff. Um, yeah, things that I just had no clue. Uh, Cause I didn't grow up going to museums and stuff. Like it was interesting to hear like Enball's story about that. I was like, oh wow, what a, what is like a kind of like a blue collar way to go like seeing museums and seeing the world that way. Like your father works at the museum, but no, like I went to science museums. That's that was went to the aquarium. That was our sense of museums. And so if you start introducing me to books, and I was like, oh okay, okay, this is what's kind of okay. This is kind of cool. I remember, um, I think it's called an Is It Inferno. Uh, who's the war photographer? Um, oh, the, the, they made a documentary called War Photographer about him. James Nockway. Yeah. Nockway, thank you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I remember, like, I saw his, like, he had, like, his book just came out. This is like ninety, no, this is two thousand, two thousand one, maybe. That that giant book on war yeah, photography. Yeah, I saw it and I was just enamored, and like that's what I thought photography was. It wasn't like all this art stuff. It was like, oh wow, you can go out into the world and say things about things that are happening. That's what I, I was like, man, I could do that. Wow, that's exciting. And then, like, I started even getting into a little... So, like, Brian Miller, he's the... I don't know if he still is, but I think he's the head of the Dartmouth program. And he... When he's a Yale guy, and he kind of started talking about kind of stage photography a bit. And so, yeah, I started getting into that a little bit. And it was, like, once again, it was about kind of expression. And I just that. I was, like, just because I moved recently, and I was looking through, like, old stuff. And I had this photo, I did this series where it was like about something about being oppressed. Um, and I had like my friends, I had like these friends, my friends like dressed as like hicks. And I had another friend of mine, uh, this, my friend Io, like dressed as like this people, this guy who was essentially like captured by like, these white hicks. And we had like a gun and we like, it was all this stuff. And it was like, it, he, yeah, the, it, was, it was just fun to play around. They weren't the best photographs. They were like black and white. I think they were, I think they were 35 millimeter. Um, but anyway, it's just a, a way, a different way of like expressing and stage. And I was like, okay. And so, yeah, it was just like all these things that were very new to me, like in terms of art. So photojournalism was, was a heavy early influence. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. That's, that's what photography was. It was, yeah. Eggleston and these people. No, like that's, <laughs> it's, it's, I have no, I had, at the time I had zero interest. It was FSA like that, that, you know. Do you think Strike. do you think that had something to do with this uh, this idea of it being practical in a way like photojournalism maybe had this usefulness to it that was maybe more in line with uh, things your parents were hoping for you to do and that whereas it wasn't just uh, you know art for art's sake or this art expression it was doing something that had uh, a practical use and maybe that was a way that you could get into it and a career potential in some way that was much more business-like in a way yeah i, I think I, I think yeah i think that's like well, I, I was well said uh and i think very much that for me it's it, it, it's how it relates to the world i, I just I, I think things that interest me re- need to relate back to people in what's going on in the world in some capacity so like after that like i, I was a journalist like i didn't like after like undergrad, like I, I worked for five years and I was a journalist, not a photojournalist, but I did documentary work at CNN. And it, once again, there's this idea where it's like, how, yeah, how, how can I relate to the world? How can I see the world? Um, so journalism really yeah, struck a chord with me. But yeah, I think it's also true. Like this idea where like, yeah, this unemployed trying to go, go by one's like 
hopes and whims. No, that, 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 that had no interest to me. So what did you wind up doing at CNN? Because I remember you were there for a while, yeah. Yeah, um, I did everything. I, like, it's like, uh, I came in and like, I got paid like $20,000 to do some BS job that like was, was important at the moment because you got to learn and kind of work your way up and you got to learn how to hustle. Um, but eventually I moved into this unit, um, the documentary unit, and it was awesome. I always feel like I got like my master's in journalism through these uh, mentors there who took me under their wing. This uh, old Jewish guy, Andy Siegel, love him to this day. This, once again, like would help me like uh, really tutor me and guide me, but also humble me when I like, I, I think I have an arrogant streak at times. And it, it so, and always kind of just, Jerry, what do, what do you really know? Like, you think you've been in this two years? I got 30 on you. Like, come on. And it's really about research. Like, I think if, like, if I knew you know, research from like, an academic sense, like, all right, what does it mean in the, in the real world? How do we do this? How do we find these sources? Um, how do you cultivate sources? How do you do interviews? How do you engage with people? I feel like, yeah, I think so much of life is like mentors. I always said I had, like, my friend mentor, this woman, Cameo, who was black, who was, like, kind of guiding me on, like, the ways of, like, this Fortune 500 company, kind of very like similar background to myself. And then I had my old like Jewish guy, Andy, who also was just like, just more like X's and O's of journalism. Mm-hmm. You know, you think, you know, you think you're a gumshoe, then improve it. And uh, he always had a, a, a quote, he's like, if your mother says she loves you, check it out. And I just <laughs> like, just don't trust anyone. And uh, yeah, so, so I, I think that's kind of how I came into journalism and really got excited about it. At the same time, it kind of pushed me towards, so I guess I'd say in terms of like photographing, like I had photographed like on the side, like I belonged to, I think it was Georgia State. There's a, it's like one of these, I always said there's all these, when you go to cities, there are all these colleges that you probably never heard of. They have like 30,000 students. In Georgia State, I never heard of it, but it has like a huge community. It's kind of like Queens College and huge, like biggest, I think it's the biggest, by far the biggest school in Atlanta. And they had a dark room and like, you can like, at a time, I could like belong to like, you pay like a fee and you belong to them. So you're doing it on the side. And so I was doing that like, kind of the, the whole way through. And then like, I feel like I became a little bit disillusioned with journalism and I realized it was a time, time to move on. Why? What, what made you disillusioned? Um, we used to be able, like our, our competitors were like frontline um, and like HBO docs. And how I used to kind of work is that CNN would, uh, like our unit would get awards, whether it be like DuPont awards, Emmy awards, like big major awards. And CNN would kind of take the credit. So they'd be like, CNN, winner of three Emmy awards. But it wasn't the stuff you see. It'd be like our small unit working hard, like doing, you know, and then that, that's not always the case now, mind you. But like, it was kind of like a wink, wink. We don't get the best ratings, but we get awards. So let us do our thing. And everyone, everyone kind of wins. But as you can imagine, like we got paid a decent amount, and so eventually, like you get these. There's been always like this turnover. Essentially, you're always trying to beat Fox, the ratings. And it was just like, all right, well, you guys do whatever you do. We're gonna, we're gonna do our documentaries. And then eventually, they came with those. Yeah, like, you guys are so good. You know what we're gonna do? We're gonna give you less time because you don't even need. <laughs> and it was like this meeting. I'll never forget it. There was this meeting where it was about like our demographics. And how our demographic is supposed to be Oprah's demographics, which is essentially like eighteen to fifty year old white women, and it was just like, oh, I guess this this is not my this is not my this is not me. Mm-hmm. You, you know, like I, I love everyone and you know, <laughs> people, but that, that that's you know what I care about, and it's not that demographic per se. 
Um, and so it was one of those things where you start pitching things and people like who you respect are like, yeah, it's a good pitch, but we're never going to do it. Um, then you realize you need, yeah, other ways and other uh, avenues to express yourself. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. I had a, uh, also, uh, some experience with photojournalism and I also became disillusioned with the, the practice, uh, the business. I know when I, when I came back, when I had photographs of, of Palestinians and, and, and some demonstrations, things like that, but I realized I wasn't doing hard news when uh, an editor at Newsweek told me they're not bloody enough, uh, the oh. photographs. And, and while I, even while I was over there, I saw some pretty shady practices of people setting up photographs, hold, Palestinians holding rocks behind their hands. And oh. um, at one point, uh, I, I helped some photojournalists uh, figure out where the next demonstration was going to be. And they got there late and they asked the Palestinians to stay longer to keep demonstrating so they, they could get their photos. And, and one of the kids ended up getting shot with a rubber bullet because of that. So I, I, re- I, I became disillusioned as well with uh, the practice. That's intense. I, I feel like I saw something like that once. Like I teach a journal, like a documentary journalism class. I think I have a clip of that, of, mm. of like people, it was, it was specifically, it was in like involved with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And have you ever seen that clip before? No, like um, a- of, of people setting up photos? Yeah, specifically with that, like I, I don't know, you were you were there somewhere, but I think it was it was more recent, I think, than when you were there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was like it was the idea of demonstrating kind of like ethics in journalism, and like they like it's like a short little like five minute kind of YouTube mm-hmm. clip of people doing that. Yeah, no, that's stuff. Uh, yeah, I think there's plenty of material out there to to show uh, 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 problems with photojournalism. Yeah, and they're also great photojournalists too. I don't absolutely. Wanna, yeah, oh no, yeah. no, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, but um, and then to me, so like you asked me before too, like like so that was like all of a sudden it was like, so now I'm like, all right, what is it that I want to do? Like I want to be closer to like the me- the means of expression. And so for me, it became like the mentors were people like the, everyone in Magnum, essentially. I was like, oh, those are the, that's, they're doing it. Like, I'm interested in that. And I feel like if I remove, it's this one you saw with my NPR mug. What I love about NPR is that they don't have, they don't have cameras. It's just like a microphone and people are just on it. And it's just like, I remember forget the Katrina stuff. So I was like a journalist during that time. And I just remember like we would do stories about it. But as soon as you had like the letters and you had the big camera, it just... And I remember, like, NPR would just kill us because, you know, people don't want to necessarily let everything go and cry on television. But they just, you know, you just put a little microphone there. They forget about it in 30 seconds. And before you know, they're just telling everything. And that's um, our plan for today, by the way. Jay. Yeah, I'm going to have you crying by the end of the show, I imagine. <laughs> oh, shoot. No, you never know. You never know. Like, uh, Let's go back to your mother. <laughs> yeah, but it, like I'm telling you, people just forget. And all, right. so anyway, right. but I felt this. I felt similarly to like aspects of photojournalism mm. where I'm like, okay, if I just have my camera and I'm just there and I'm on the scene, I can make it, I can make it work. But I don't know if I, like in terms of the narrative where I left off um, or what question. Did, am oh, I you know, I, I think we can, I think we can, uh, you know, make that transition to how you went from CNN. Uh, what was after that? Was it, was it grad school? Yeah, it was. Um, but it was like a long, like it was one of the best things that <laughs> this professor, like Brian, uh, one of my mentors, he did. It was like, I was like, all right, I'm ready to go. Like, I want to go to journal. Like, I want to go to grad school for photography. Like, I know he went to Yale. I was like, I think I could do that. I took my I took my GREs. Like, I'm fortunate. Like, I, I like in terms of academically, my, my stuff is usually pretty tight. And so I was like, all right, I'm I'm good. And one of the things he was like, all right, Jared. Like, so say I, I asked him in like January, knowing that 
you know, uh, things are due in like April or so or March. And he was like, I'll make a deal with you. I'll write you a great recommendation. I'll write as many as you want, but you got to do me a favor. So mind you, I'm showing him photographs. And he was just like, you have to give it a year. And he's like, your digital photographs aren't ready yet. And I was just like tortured. I was like, you mean I got to stay at this place another year? And I got to stay at the time I kind of wanted to leave Atlanta. And I was like, he was like, yeah, like you're, you're just not there. And so it's like, so in the meantime, like I'm like, I switched up projects and, you know, it was a whole, it wasn't just like, oh yeah, now it's time to go. Um, it was very much that. And so, so that goes on. And then eventually a year goes by and I apply. It was still, this is like, oh, six maybe. And so before everything was digital, I applied to like, I think eight different schools and it was uh, Meaning the time you had to get was... slide carousels together and make slides. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, yeah. yeah I remember doing that, yes. Yeah. Pages and, and pages, right, of, of yeah, slides to send yeah. to schools. Money. And then for me, the thing I remember most was the, the envelopes. And it was just like it was either small envelopes or big envelopes. <laughs> and, like, I just got a lot of small envelopes. And I was just like, <laughs> you got to get in and it just, yeah, and then and it's funny, that's the first time I actually ever, like, spoke to Tom. It was like, I was, uh, yeah. Tom I, uh, right. I, I, when I applied the first time, is that I, I remember I called or emailed, or, and then, I, then he gave me, he's like, call me. And I remember I called Tom, and I talked to him, and I was like, yeah, you know, I'm interested in this and that. Um, and I obviously had seen his work, um, specifically, like, come Sunday. Uh, which I strongly still to this day like relate to and I love is without question my favorite work of his. I get those people. Um it's like it's my grandmother, it's my mother, she went to church. We went to we went to a more I guess a, a more like a traditional Baptist church, but like those like when I'm going for Easter, that's the church we go to. Yeah, so anyway, so I was like really connected to that. So anyway, sorry, I'm I'm going off. Uh I yeah, so I called Tom and I remember I think it was like a joke too. Or like uh, it is, it just I just couldn't believe that was a real person. I remember because I talked to Anna and she was like, "Let me, you know, let me get Anna Roma, Tom's wife." Yeah, and she was just like, "Tom," <laughs> and I was like, and he got on the phone and it sounded like Al Pacino, and I was like, <laughs> "This really happening?" <laughs> um, but the point being is that I got rejected. I got flat out rejected from everywhere. I want to once again, like I feel like this the story of like art. I feel it's just like rejection. And how do you cope with it? At least for me, because it's like I, you get a few things. People are like, "Oh, you're successful." You're like, "Man, all I do is get rejected." <laughs> um, you don't hear about that as much, but man, I get rejected all the time. I, I don't forget. I was telling someone like I tell them a, like a lecture I gave. I felt like I was like on the dark net because it was like page like seventy three of a Google search, and I found this one place. It was like entry level of like a blog that told people who like got into grad school and when. And so then you could kind of commiserate or whatever. Now there are a bunch of things to do this, but it was back in the day a bit. And I was like hunting. And so eventually I got into, I got a, what it was is I got like, so it's say it's like April. And you know, so this time I'm just like, wow, I guess, I guess I'm just going to move out. I thought I was going to move out to Cali. And I was like, all right, I guess I'll just move out there. I got rejected from every place except for the San Francisco Art Institute. But I knew like there's like, their like deadline had already passed, but I got, I never forget. I came home from work and I lived in a duplex. And it was like the mailbox was mounted uh, to like next to my door, and it was like a big envelope sticking up. And I was just like, I remember like you, you like I threw out a prayer. I was like, oh maybe this is it. And you kind of walk slow and you look, and it's at the San Francisco Art Institute. But I was like, well, your deadline already passed. And what it was is I got 
I, I got, I didn't, I got rejected, but I got into like their post-bac program. And so essentially it was like a three-year MFA. And they're essentially like, man, you don't know anything about art, which is true. And, you know, a little bit about photography. We said in your transcript, you took like two classes, like yeah, three total, I guess, drawing, you know, but it was like, that's all I could take. And so like, come here, you do a year doing like kind of brushing up on things and then you reapply. And so I, I did that and I, um, I moved out to San Francisco. Um, now, that the project on your website, the bottom, isn't that what you did during that post-bac year or am I wrong about that? I thought I remembered some of that work from then. Yeah, yeah, I I started that um, during that time. Um, yeah, it was like one of those things too. With, with, I'm really good with uh, like deadlines, and I'm like I'm a big carrot and stick person. And it's just like so. The big thing was like it's not guaranteed that you get into like the MFA program. So I was like, all right, then I'm if it's a matter of outworking people, I got I got this. And so like yeah, I just would go out like four or five times, like uh, too much. Like I realize now I'm not that much now, but like I was out there like photographing so i did a few projects and then one kind of fed into the bottom uh yeah because it was like i'm interested in like black communities in general and so i started doing these things about barbershops but that kind of morphed into why kind of this idea of gentrification and what's happening to the black community in san francisco and then like once again doing research and then it was something like 60 percent of all the black people in san francisco live in public housing and so I was like, all right, well, let's, let's kind of get more into public housing, see what's going on there. And yeah, and so I started, I started, started that project. Well, um, you have it on your website that that was inspired by Toni Morrison's Sula. Uh, yeah. And you have a, a long excerpt from it, but one of, the, one of the lines from the excerpt is the place where Negroes lived. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she, and she talks about how it's a joke, and, and clearly she uses like graphic language, which I don't want, but like... He talks about how, like, and that's, and that's the story of America, right? Yeah, like, that was the only part of that excerpt I felt comfortable quoting. <laughs> that's fine. No, no, it's fine. Yeah, it's, I mean, people should, yeah, everyone should read Toni Morrison. Yeah, she just paints, paints the picture so vividly. Uh, but, like, that, that, that's essentially what America is. It's like, it's the bottom land for people of color. And it was like, just so evident when, yeah, like, when, I'm in, when I was in San Francisco, it's like, these old army barracks that are turned into public housing that look like jails. Um, and then I did, I did the product too when I was in Columbia, uh, when I was in New York. And I was like, I was in Brownsville, mainly in, I was in Bed-Stuy. I was in, I was in Harlem a little bit, but mainly, yeah, mainly in Bed-Stuy and Brownsville. And it was just a similar thing. It's just like, why again? It just, yeah. So, so sorry. I don't know if I'm answering the no, question. No, no, you did, and and you know, we let the conversation go where it goes. But this is this is the work you that, that helped get you through San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. It was. Although it's funny, it, it did. But the thing is, I did a lot of kind of what I lack of better word. I think you guys like documentary style or uh, street photography. So I, when I reapplied after my post back year, I applied to the San Francisco Arts Institute and I applied to Columbia. I never got told, and when I told Tom, I was like, yeah, I'm going to reapply. Like, the work, I think, is much stronger. And then, so that's the stuff that I, like, when I came to my interview, and Rakai was there on the interview, it was all, it wasn't that work. It was actually, like, kind of more street photography, if you will, uh, black and white work. Um, but I was, it was really, it was, like, calling and, like, emailing with Tom. So I was, like, trying to let people, like, I'm serious. Like, I, you know, like, I always say, like, when you get rejected, and everyone rejects you, it's not their problem. It's like, well, <laughs> what am I not doing right? You know, and it was just like, all right, I need to be more dedicated, I need to be more focused, I need to take better photographs. And when I was out in San Francisco, it was like, once again, you get like mentors. This woman, I don't know if you guys, you guys know Darcy Padilla's work at all? 
No, I don't um, think so. No. She's a photojournalist. I mean, you name it. She has like Guggenheim's, the Soros Award, Eugene Smith Award. Great, great. And, and I remember she was just, I think she saw potential in me. It was just like, you can do better. Like, come on. Yeah, to the, like, I, well, I, I was out in California um, in the spring and I met with Darcy still. And she's like, this keeps pushing me. And so it was like really recognizing that my photographs need to get better. That the whole world isn't against me. It's just that I need to make better work and people will see it. Um, and so, yeah, it was definitely her and then the, Linda Connor. She was like the matriarch of the program. She kind of took over after, uh, I guess after Ansel Adams kind of in a way. And it's funny. I feel like I had Darcy from like the documentary side. And then I had uh, Linda from like the art side just being like, I never forget. It. I was like showing her I had a crit with her. And she was like, well, I think, I think it would look better from this angle. And I remember I was just like, like, I don't tell people what to do. Like, that's not, that's not my thing. Like, you know, it was, it was that way. So essentially would have been like, I felt like in my, with my own warped sense, like that rock. We're like, we'll pick up the rock again. And I was like, I don't do that. And then she was like, oh, I'm an artist. I guess I just do whatever I want. And I'll never forget that. At the time, I was like, it just, this is something that stayed with me. And I remember thinking like, why don't I do what I want? That sounds, that sounds really, why am I, why am I handcuffing myself? Um, you know, it's, it's, it was like, it felt like I was like photographing with the walker and then all these people were running and I was like, you don't have to have a walker. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I feel like I was going to be pushed from like two sides and they kind of, like, I feel like ushered me forward. And then, um, I feel like in a lot of ways, like Tom picked up the baton and was just like, you know, get going to me. And yeah. So I think it's interesting that, you know, coming from, talking about CNN, of course, and Magnum and uh, even Yale and this idea of being in a f- surrounded by photographers or thinking about photography, uh, be it journalistic or whatever, that I imagine that part of the real reason of thinking about Columbia, were you thinking more about the fact that you'd be studying with Tom Roma or were you also looking for this interdisciplinary art program where you were going to be in school with people who are drawing and making sculpture and, you know, doing performance because it, from every, all the trajectory you've been talking about so far, it seems very much uh, centered on, you know, photo or journalism and everything. And now you're thrust into this to your program where, uh, you know, photography is a, as a small, it's an important part for the, those of us who went there, but it is a small part of the overall graduate program. Right. And so a lot of people who are, more interested in a photo program might be discouraged by by coming to a program like that that don't want to have to have critiques with performance artists just want to talk about the nuts and bolts of photography yeah no it's a it's a it's a good question i would say that it was like two or three things that stood out it was like one one obvious is that it's columbia um it's yeah, just like of course, yeah. you know uh if you like I, you know, I, I lived, lived abroad for some time, and I always said people had, I think had more reverence for Columbia than they did, like, Harvard or Yale. Mm. It was just, like, in a lot of bad and good, but a lot of ways, New York is the center of the world. And so it was just like, oh, whoa, oh, yeah, Columbia, oh, my. And it was just, so, yeah, and so that sense, like, yeah, Columbia's Columbia. And then, obviously, it was, like, Tom. And so it was, like, yeah, it was Tom, and the other one without question was Kara. Like, I was like, all right. Like, I'm interested... Kara Walker, in, yeah. Sorry, yeah, sorry, Kara, Kara Walker. Um, and it was like, I just feel like I'm interested in what she's thinking about. Now she's, like, articulating her response to the world. And I'm interested in the way, like, Tom sees the world via photography. 
And like, I was like, I want to combine that and I want to see what I can do. The interdisciplinary stuff, you know, at the time I could take it or leave it. Um, well, like all it, graduate programs, you make of it what you bring into it as well. And as long as there were the resources for you there and the people that you wanted to, you were talked about mentorship earlier and you imagined this mentorship going forward yeah. with those two people. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. So it was just like, that's what I knew. That's what I was interested in. It was like New York, Columbia. There's like this guy, Tom, who seems, you know, like his stuff. And then some Tom said to me, I never forget it. Like, I think he may say he says to everyone, but it was just like, Whenever, like, when I did get in, I remember he was just like, I don't know if you should go. And he kind of tossed you out of going. And obviously, if he can talk you out of going, you're, you're a fool and you shouldn't go. And he was just like, essentially, he's like, I don't know about these art stars. You know, I, you, know you, you may make some photographs, you may not, you know. But what I think I can do is I can get you teaching. Mm-hmm. And that was just like, oh, I'm it. This dude was talking about, like, doing something that I love already. Like, practicalities of, like, working. Like, my biggest fear is that, like, I had a good job, and all of a sudden, like, I left it, and now I'm just unemployed and broke, and then more dead. And then I feel like Tom was just like, yeah, like, it, it, he's like, I, I feel like we have a good thing going here with teaching. Um, and he was telling me it was about, like, Steven, and he was down at Tulane at the time. And then uh, he was talking about, like, Kai working at Columbia, and Yola working at Columbia, and then people working in and around New York, and then there was the... The girl at Vanderbilt, whose name I'm slipping at Vesna. the moment. Yeah, Vesna yeah. Pavlovic. Yeah, and then obviously Michael told about Michael, and it was just like, it's funny because I've heard of you uh, <laughs> like a lot because Tom, because you're like a success. And so, like, and I was just like, oh man, I want to be on that train. <laughs> you know, it's almost yeah. like uh, like the Bill Parcells tree or something. <laughs> you know, you're like, okay, yeah, shoot, I can get on that. I, I um, just realized that we skipped over something important, which was. When you left CNN and went out to SFAI, what did your parents say? Oh, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's what I always say. Like, people always get on my cases. But I feel like I got the best parents in the world. Because mm. it's like, in some respects, I never forget it. So, like, after, that whole year goes by. They're a little dubious. But supportive. They're like, well, I, I think they recognize that, like, I'm, I'm reasonably intelligent. Like, <laughs> I don't make, you know, like... You know, I can support myself, things like that. Like, and I think a year goes by, I get to Columbia, and so I'll, I'll answer the question. But a year goes by, and I never forget, like, I was home for something. And I remember, like, my aunt was just like, man, like, your parents, something about my parents, like, really, like, just being shaky about a bunch of things. And I was like, yeah, you know, my mother, she worries. She was like, looked at me, and I was like, what? She's like, no, it's your father. Mm-hmm. And it's like, my parents didn't tell me this one bit. They were just loving and supportive. But I guess, you know, clearly behind, you know, closed doors, they're like, what in the world is this guy doing? Like, he goes to this Ivy League school that, you know, that costs a fortune, and he's doing journalism, okay. Maybe go to law school, but okay. And then now he's doing this art thing, but to my face, they were just like, we love you. If this is what you think you need to do, we support you. And so, yeah, I just feel like I got love and support from them to my face, which is what you need. Yeah, I mean, um, part of the reason I even brought it up was... I remember meeting your family and especially meeting your father. And there was this sense that um, you had a real base there, you know, like that you had you were coming from this very strong family background and that there was a lot of love and support there. And and it was tying into your photography in a way, I think, in the way that you were able to go out and meet other people. And, you know, you were there was a real 
like the sense of humanity just comes across and that when people have a short conversation with you, they can tell that you're, that you've, you're coming from this background that's given you a lot of strength that really came across when I met your father for the first time. It was like really obvious that, um, that you had that. And, uh, you know, if you were listening to earlier podcasts, you know, gypsy lifestyle I had, there was definitely like, there were father figures in and out, but it wasn't anything to that extent. And so I think, I think that served you really well. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, I feel like in my whole, essentially the whole narrative, it's like, it's just all it is. I just feel like I just feel blessed in so many ways. Like, I think it's what, 50, when I was born in the eight, so I was born 81, I think the, I think 60% of all black kids are born out of wedlock. So it's like, it's just like, in so many ways, I just feel blessed on, it's just like, I had both my parents there, both my parents are like, educated, and like, not just, like, they both went to, like, Ivy League schools themselves, um, really came from nothing, but it was like, you know, just, I just feel blessed in so many ways. Like, it, it's, it's harder to get into, like, Columbia, the Columbia Visual Arts Program than it is to, like, Harvard Law School. Mm. Like, that's crazy. I'm not that good. <laughs> you know, like, let's be honest. You know, like, you just, like, but you just feel fortunate and, like, you feel blessed and it's just like, yeah, you just, and it's like a series of that. That, um, that was my dog shaking uh, her collar. Oh, right on. We're, we're pro dog over here. So, <laughs> so what what did your parents do? Or are they still both working? Oh, they're retired. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and they love it too. <laughs> um, yeah, no, my my mother was an accountant. Um, oh, she was like the real smart one. But then <laughs> I'd say for, so it's different. For me, it was like six or so. And my sister who's older. She was like 10. She was a stay-at-home mom. And then my dad worked for General Electric for like 40 years. Yeah. yeah so um, but they both went to Wharton. Uh, they met at Penn back in the 70s. My dad always says he has two rings. He has like his wedding ring and his Wharton wing because it was like a war. <laughs> it was like they're just racist pieces of crap. And they tried to kick him out a bunch of times. And it's funny, like my mom was like five beta kappa though at Wharton. Oh, mm-hmm. that's brilliant. But yeah, it was just, you know, it was the 70s. It was just... Yeah, and I think I think there like, a lot of outlook on life is like kind of passed down to me, where it's just like I, you got to do things that like help the less fortunate, and then like, unfortunately they're disproportionately black and brown, and so it's just like getting back to the work. It's like my work is not somehow saying something to that or addressing that or talking about that or bringing that up in conversation. Like, what am I doing? It's just like. That, but that's just, you know, for me, that's that, that's what making work is about. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, we'll definitely uh, get to the work. So. Um... What did your father do at GE? Um, human resources. He was an HR guy. Yeah, he, he. But then he was like the head of diversity for GE. He did a bunch, but all kind of in the HR bracket. And, we, and that we moved around a lot. Like I, I went to like six different schools growing up. That's something I said, Kai and I have in common a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, shoot, I moved around everywhere. But like getting back to sort of quick as I like back, getting back to like like parental love and stuff. It's like the one thing my parents did do. That like they stayed in Cincinnati like my whole high school. I think they moved a lot when my sister was in high school. I think they saw how my sister wound up going like to Harvard for grad school. She's great, but like it, it could be detrimental to like a certain you know extent. And it's one of those things where I think they were conscious of that and like let me go all the way through. And like, once again, one of these things like you talk to your dad like later on. And my dad had, like this big promotion to go to Milwaukee, and he was just like, and it's funny that he wouldn't even tell my mother told me. He's like, yeah, you know, your father gave it up, so you'd stay in, like, in Cincinnati. And, like, things you just don't know. And you're like, really? He's like, yeah. He's like, I told him to take it. 
<laughs> it's like, and so it was one of those things where, yeah, it's, it's uh, every, did I answer the question? Sorry, I feel like I just go on. Yeah, yeah no, you, no, no, we were just, yeah, we're moving it along. You're doing fine. Okay. <laughs> uh, so now you're at Columbia and you're, yeah. this is your first time living in New York, right? Yeah, there I was there for a summer, like doing an internship. Okay, so you're uh, at Columbia and um, you mentioned on your website and speaking about, well, first of all, you, you talked about, you just talked about this idea of what your work is going to be about. Right when you hit your website, as if front page loads up, you kind of, there's like this bold artist statement on there, you know, it's like going right into like identity politics and there's even someone like sort of staring back at the viewer as you come to the site. So I think that's just lays the ground right there that this is the kind of work that you're probably going to be seeing. And you mentioned, um, let's see, who did you mention? Oh yeah. You mentioned James Vanderzee and how you started this project going in and photographing in Harlem while you were there. Right. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? It's called, uh, all here and now. Yeah. I think that was funny. That was, uh, it was a project for me. I gave myself to kind of learn lighting. Mm-hmm. I felt like I didn't know lighting. Weren't you doing that with a four by five too, or do I miss? Yeah, I, I switched. It switched right. in the middle. Yeah, that was, and that was like a big, yeah. Like I just can't express enough how I feel like the photo, not everyone in the photo community, but the photo, the certain people in the photo community at Columbia, like just sent me straight on a million ways. Like, uh, I never forget it. I was thinking about this just yesterday, how, uh, this guy, Joseph Lopez, a grad student, who I remember, like, I didn't know how to use the 4x5. And I was like, man, I can't, like, pay you because I don't have any extra money like that. But I can, like, buy you dinner. And literally, he spent, like, 12 hours in my studio showing me how to, like, use this thing that I, like, thought. Like, I think if someone was mentioning, you mentioned in a previous podcast about um, kind of, like, who you like and things like that. And I, I felt like it was this idea I kept on saying, like, oh, I like that. And, like, they use a four by five. Oh, I like that. They use an eight by ten. And you're just like, okay. Um, I think it maybe was Patrice. Is that her name? Yeah. Patrice she said Helmar. the idea. Yeah. yeah. The idea how like you need to learn like new things when you go to grad school. And so for me, it was like I don't know lighting. I'm outside. You know, I know eh, 125 f16 sounds about right. Um, and it was like, no, I need to be more specific. I need to know like how lights work. And yeah, and I started using this new this new camera. Um, and it was about like I think there was something too like like a physicality to like bringing all this stuff like on the subway had like tons of equipment and you're just like you know what this is this is the stuff I feel like Tom would talk about this is the hard work that you got to do that no one thinks about and I'm like yeah and I'm all over Brooklyn looking and I was like Brooklyn and Harlem looking for like middle class uh, black people it's funny I don't I don't show that work when I give like a lot of like I think if I give a lecture or something. I feel it was all like precursor to later work. Mm. Um, so I, I see like a lot of faults in the work. But yeah, that was that was important in terms of like the, the, the narrative and like the progression. Yeah, what struck me is thinking about those Vanderzee photographs is that I remember seeing, I'm not sure if these are all on your website or if I remember seeing them in your studio, but a lot of these apartments were fairly stark, you know, like they were pretty spare with like maybe a really nice couch and then... Uh, uh, you know, maybe an African mask on the wall or something. But when you look at those Vanderzees, a lot of them are so opulent, right? Like, of course, there's mm-hmm. a really famous one of the the couple in their furs with that amazing car and all of that, yep. you know? I think with Vanderzee, I think a lot of it was um, pseudo-reality. Uh, I think a lot of these people were like my, my nana, my great-grandmother, 
who didn't have much, but she had furs. Um, but she lived in the projects. And it was this idea of like, oh, like dignity, which is infinitely important. I don't mm-hmm. want to remotely belittle that, but I don't think it was like a sustained uh, thing. And so I think a lot of times, like there were a lot of, he did a lot of stuff in studio because people didn't have spaces to shoot. So a lot of this opulence, you know, I think they went back to the, the store afterwards, you know? And so I, I think, like I said, it's a jumping off point, but I think for me it was more, and then it's just one of those things that's like certain things that like, you're just not gonna, I'm just not gonna, I'm not interested in. Not to jump too far ahead, but like when I was in Africa, it's like, you're not gonna shoot me, like see me shoot poor people. Like I, I'm not gonna shoot, that's, I'll let other people do that. That's not what I'm interested in. Um, and then it's just like, you're not gonna have me shoot you know, like an like an MTV Cribs type thing, hmm. like that is also not. I'm not interested in that. I'm in like in terms of the class struggle that is, that exists. Like that, that, those are things that are very real. Um, but that's that that's not going to find, you know, my lens. And so, um, well, it's it's part of that uh, a desire also not to feed into a, a stereotype, feed into a misunderstanding of what that's all about. Yeah, yeah, I would guess. I mean, I think it's about photographing what you know. People I know like don't have Lambos. They don't have you know shadow. You know they don't. They don't. We don't. We don't. That's not the people I know. I know people who have been very fortunate and have good jobs on Wall Street, but they got one bedroom apartments in New York too. And I know you know unfortunately people who who don't have as much, but you know I feel like I'm going to give them dignity. But I don't think you want to revictimize you know those who have been marginalized already. That, that I'll let other people do that. Yeah, unfortunately. So now you're, I remember the going through this transition of thinking about work and thinking about art uh, specifically. Do you want to talk about the work that wound up being your thesis show? Because that seemed like a, that was a major shift in, in the kind of work you were making, right? Yeah, no, 100%. You're right. Yeah, it was, um, once again, I feel like this desire to try to say things. And I think the one thing I learned from the bottom was that because I, mean, I did that project for almost like two or three years in, t- in total. And I, and I feel like towards the end, I started to just kind of get started to say things that I wanted to say. And it was just, it's tough to, it's tough to say the things you want to say by just looking in the world. I remember I had this shot, I don't know it's on a website, but it was like this shot that I really liked where it was, I was out in Brownsville and it was like a woman and it had like this sign about um, like Navy, Navy for Moms. And it was interesting because I know you brought it up in a previous podcast. And there's an awesome shot, one of my favorite shots of Yola's. Uh, she shot, I think it was on 125th with this recruiting station, all like these people of color. And Yola Minakov. Yeah. And, and, and it's one of those things where I felt like I was starting to say something. I was like, oh, yeah, that's what I want to say. I want to say these people are like pushed to like extreme options. Um, it's like people don't sell drugs because that's like, man, I just want to sell drugs when I get older. No, you're pushed to it, you know, because of a society. You know, there's certain capitalist mantras, whatever, whatever. But it's just like, I, I, I just, I was in, a, I feel like, I was like, oh, I got something. It took me like three years to get one photograph that I was like, this is doing it. And I was like, you know what? You know, like, for the sake of time, maybe I can say things in my studio that, that, are, that are just as powerful, maybe. Going and back so, to your analogy of walking with the walker versus running. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, or even just like having like sunglasses on and taking them off and you're like oh okay it's, it's actually not night outside it's, you know okay and, and i was like all right well if now now's the time right and if you mess up you mess up and so it was great um and i think one thing that was awesome 
I feel like Tom gave me the space. Like, I know you, I remember you asked people sometimes about, like, thesis committee people. And I remember I asked Tom, I was like, Tom, like, is it okay if you're not on my thesis committee? I know he's always there for me. And he was like, no, Jared, that's okay. And I was like, obviously, check, because I don't want to disrespect him. But he was like, no. So it's like I had, like, Kara as my thesis committee member. I had Sanford on my thesis committee. Oh, great. Yeah, um, Sanford Biggers, great. Yeah. And then I'm drawing a blank. Uh, I had Kelly Jones, um, curator, art historian, Amir Baraka's daughter, uh, like on, on, my, on my committee. And it was, like, really people really trying to, like, push me in new ways. And, like, photographically, it was awesome that, I, like, I need a committee to talk to Tom, thankfully. It was just, I just talked to Tom, I need to talk to Tom. And so it was just like all these kind of confluences of things and to be like, yeah, I want, I want to try something new. And I want to try studio work. Yeah. So I think that's kind of what kind of led me and allowed me to, uh, to take those risks. And that became the, the title on your website is Biggest Show on Earth, uh, which are these bobbleheads which you repainted and manipulated and then photographed. And uh, have you done any more work like that since? Or? Yeah, it's funny. I'm working on something like that now um, with these uh, masks. I've been working on these masks for whew, for some time. And I have I got some done. I, I don't have enough for a show yet. So I got a – it's funny. I got up in my, like, in my studio. I have like a bunch of masks that I brought back from South Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not South African masks because uh, masks in South Africa aren't really a tradition. Um, they're from other parts of Africa, but I got them in South Africa. Yeah, that's a whole other thing, trying to play with ideas of, like, this uh, disconnect between what is, like, African-American or so-called African-American, I just say black American, like, African traditions and relations and this this disconnect. The, the, like, the, like what is, what's African about me or the people you see in the street outside in Harlem? It's just, like, sort of phenotype, like, very, very little. Hmm. Um, so anyway, so I'm interested in that, in that disconnect. And specifically as it relates to South Africa, this idea, it's like I think a lot of times people go to Africa and they're going to have like this, you know, transformative experience. I think sometimes people do. Um, but for me, it was, it was very kind of getting back to the people. It wasn't this kind of Marcus Garvey's return. It was, it was very different. I also was in South Africa, not West Africa. Yeah, before we, though, we get to – I want to back up to the, the um, biggest show on earth project. I mean, you – those were sports figurines, bobbleheads. Were they all bobbleheads? Yeah. Okay. And, but they were painted very specifically in a kind of minstrel-style blackface, right? Yeah. So, so this one, I think that like the title, I think the, like is actually the biggest colored show on earth. Oh. And so it's like obviously taking that from kind of the Barn and Bailey and this idea like the minstrel show, step and fetch it. Um, yeah, I was interested in how like sports, like is sports the new minstrel show? Um, and you know, the kind of like the differences between, I would say like a Muhammad Ali and I think I had Roy Jones Jr. But me better yet would be, you know, Mayweather, you know, it's just like this idea, like, like sports, you know, like the difference between obviously like Jackie Robinson or Terrell Owens, you know, like there's just, I think there's been a, an evolution. I don't know if that's, you know, positive or negative. It's just it, things have evolved. Well, um, it also relates journalistically, in a sense, to the way sports journalism treats black athletes over white athletes, you know, where they might describe a, a white quarterback as, as tactical and, and smart and, and uh, you know, a thinking man's game. And, and then they describe, might describe a, an African-American quarterback as powerful and aggressive. Uh, you know, there's, there's been some disparity uh, among sports journalists in the way they describe white and, and black athletes. 
Yeah, of course. No, I mean, it's not. Yeah, any any issue I have isn't like, once again, you don't want to blame the victim. There's a reason why like football athletes like try to take their helmet off. Because, you know, they, these these oligarchs make all this money off these people's backs. Don't get me started about college athletics. Coach K makes how many million a year? How many of his players make? You know, it's just like, this is utterly ridiculous. I mean, I'm in Columbus now. Don't get me started. I don't want to get in trouble. But, uh... <laughs> Yeah, no, so, so yeah, no, so even though I, I may be critical, and I always say to me, it's like, it's my implication. Like, I love, love sports to the point, like, I try to, like, yeah, it's bad. As soon as I got it, like, ooh, Jared, like, I need to read now. And so it's like, I'm involved, like, how society's involved in this thing that I think really, I, 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 I question, like, the, the benefit um, sometimes. And I think we all play into it journalism, fans, the athletes themselves. Um, but at the same time, I think it also functions as a way for like a legitimate way for people to get about of certain negative circumstances. I think it's, it's complicated. Um, I think that's why I find it so engaging. And also there's the aspirational dream aspect of it too, right? Like as uh, just as something to look, look up to or look forward to, you know, e- even if naively, it's like, there's something that's there. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was just telling a uh, professor over here, I was telling about how like, it's crazy. Like there's no one who comes to Ohio State to play football, who doesn't think they're going to be in the NFL? And the reality is, maybe five percent of them will, maybe two percent. Mm-hmm. But it's, so I'm interested in that, like those dreams and like dreams deferred, like that that yeah. that those things like break my heart. You know, it's just like it, it's not just you know people of color, but it, it yeah, it, it seems like it's just so prevalent. So I'm going to switch to South Africa now, if that's all right. Uh, most of the grad students, right after they graduate, uh, think about, even if they've come from California or Israel or wherever, they think about maybe spending another year or two in New York afterwards and, uh, you know, maybe taking advantage of some of the attention from the thesis show to maybe try to get into group shows or, or, you know, get a studio and continue that kind of studio practice. But I remember I was kind of shocked that almost right, right after you graduated. Next thing I know, you were packing up and moving to South Africa, which seems like amazing. And and I was kind of jealous. But uh, can you just talk about? And I, I think also a girl is involved, so we want to bring that back into the mix. <laughs> so can you talk yeah, about yeah. how that happened and and how long yeah. you were there and all that whole experience. Um, I guess I'd say like first off, it was uh, so yeah after the the all the thesis show and everything and like some positive responses and then I was like in a show in Europe and that went well and. You know, you sell a piece or two and you're feeling good, but then it just gets to like, like, what do you do? You know, it's just like, so uh, I was doing like the adjunct hustle for a, like a, a second and that was like not really paying the bills. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then it became, and then it, it just in general, like the art scene in New York, the art scene in general, not just, I, I don't think I, I'm like, I'm not an art scene, like staple guy. Um, I think it's people who just grew up very different than me. That had maybe different interests, but not, not all. But it, I just feel I feel out. I feel I feel ostrac- I don't feel comfortable in a lot of ways. Um, I think people can be nice, you know. Like I used to I did a project, but then I that's an ongoing thing. But I just take photos of openings, and like ninety five percent of the time, I'm the only brother. <laughs> and it's just like I feel it's like these white enclaves that everything's ironic, and that's not always the case. But like. You know, I don't wear skinny jeans. I don't have a bunch of tattoos. 
I don't know. It didn't feel like it was my space. Yeah, I feel like, and then some Tom said too. He was like, "Man, if you can go and you can teach, you just like everyone's trying to hustle. Like you have a different experience." So, you, so once again, right? You have mentors, and you ask people. You're like, "Man, what what do you think? Like, I think I'm gonna leave New York. Like, am I being a fool?" And yeah, I remember I talked to like one of my mentors is like Mark Dion. I asked him about it, and he couldn't be like any more encouraging. And I was just like, "You get the people you trust, like." So, like, I guess in general, like, we were in past Columbia, but Columbia was a rocky experience for me. Short of, like, Tom, people like Kai and Dennis and, you know, Michael and Joanna, and then essentially Mark Dion and the people, like, in the Mark, like, the mentorship group, mentor group, like, I just didn't feel at home, really. It is just, it felt a lot of, and it's not, and it's, like, I am sad that it's not, but in my head, it felt like a lot of, like, spoiled white kids doing spoiled white kid things. And like I said, that's not an accurate reflection. It just didn't feel like my space. So it wasn't like I was like, ooh, I just want to stay around and do this more. Mm. Um, ooh, I just want to be the only one. Um, <laughs> and so it was just like, yeah. But So I felt like I had like this opportunity. But I can't express enough how they, I feel those people like really saved me. And so when, when it comes to these decisions, like you ask, you go, you seek advice. Like, can't, like what happens if I leave? And yeah, I got positive responses. And then most importantly, like most things in life, it's like I fell in love. And love would do crazy things to a man yeah, or a yeah. woman, shoot. And so and she was like, yeah, finishing up her PhD at the University of Cape Town. And I was just like, yeah, if I can get a job, I'll stay. <laughs> shoot. Stay with a, you know, a beautiful woman in a, in a different city. I, I'm, I'm in on those things. And so, yeah, you fell in love and you're just like, let's try it. I always said, like, if she wanted to go to Uganda or like, I don't know if I would have gone, but like South Africa does have an art scene. And, and I was like, oh, let's try it. And so uh, that's kind of how, how it went down. I was like, I could bounce. I'm not in love with this scene here. I'm getting positive responses from people that I love and respect. And L-O-V-E. <laughs> yeah, and then you wound up making several bodies of work while you were down there. Yeah, yeah. It, it, like Once again, you just become like blessed and fortunate. So it's like, you know, like I can't afford rent. My partner like covers for me because she like believes in what you're doing, and then I'm getting paid under the table illegally, <laughs> and so you're trying to like do all that hustle, and then like one of my friends like finds a job. I remember something. I remember Janelle told me once. She's like, "Oh, see, Jared, I've never got a photo job from any of my photo friends. They're all like painters and other people who hear something because the photo people want to keep it to themselves." And I was like, "Ooh." And I never forget that because my good friend Dave, uh, Dave Southwood's his name, great, great photographer, South African. He was like, man, there's this gig they want me to do, but I can make more commercially if I do like one or two commercial gigs. Do you want it? And I was like, yes. I'll yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Mm. And so he put me on. Yeah, I started teaching at, a, at an art school, kind of like an SBA um, down in South Africa. And they gave me a work visa. And it was kind of like a hustle too because it's kind of done now. But like in order to get a work visa – they got to promise you like a bunch of money because they can't have you just living in poverty. But they wrote me another contract that was like, man, that contract's not going to void because <laughs> you want to pay you for one class. Nice. But you, we need, you know, you need, and they did me a favor. It wasn't there because like, I wanted the work visa. And so, like, I only taught the one class at first. And, like, so the first year it was like a lot of vegetables and broth and a lot of, you know, just your partner just looking out for you. Cause, you, you, you said that the school was was like an SVA, a school of visual arts? It wasn't related to the school of visual arts. Not even in the slightest. Oh, okay. No, 
no, no, it was just an art school. I, I just try to say it so it would have some relation. Sure, sure, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. One of the projects you came up with was was uh, um, Black Folk, I think you call it on the website. Yeah. Right? It had to do with you know, what it means to be black in South Africa, right? Because in South Africa, you could be black, colored, or white, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are like the three apartheid uh, I guess classifications. And so, yeah, I was in, you know, I mean, I always said like I, I went to like the, maybe the one place like in the world outside of America where like race is this humongous thing. Um, so I always felt like we're like this petri dish in some ways, like more complicated than even in America. Yeah. I feel like American stuff is almost like horrific, but straightforward. Yeah. It's just like terrorism on several fronts. So it'd be like native American slavery, you know, the black and brown communities now, but in South Africa, it's like all these little nuances. Like, uh, what was the guy's name? I'm drawing a blank. There's a real famous photographer who's South African. He was in Magnum for like a year, and then he, actually, he did this body of work during apartheid. No, well, so the story is, right? So he's this black guy, and like the, the story of him is that he like straightened his hair and like did this like process so just he, he can be considered colored, just so because when you were colored, you had more rights under apartheid. Mm. So just that way he could like fluctuate, he like had to like really change, literally change his identity, change who he was just to have access. Mm. And so. Wow, Ernest Ernest Cole is his name. Sorry, yeah. Ernest Cole. And so it's this crazy story. You're like, it's like the the story of the the slave who like put himself in a box and like sent himself like up up north. You guys know that? The like Henry uh, something yeah. guys like something box. People made work about it, but literally, it was a slave who like put himself in a box and sent himself north. It's like craziness. We like he literally was like. So that, like it was like a pencil test because it's like a pencil in your like in your hair. So like through mm-hmm. like years he would like try to straighten his hair and like do these things so he could be considered colored just so he had more access. And so now like they do in most countries with people on the bottom like they do with like the black and Latino communities in America they, they pit them against each other. And so it was just like you know the the, the coloreds have a little more rights because they're a little more pure. And then unfortunately now there's still like like a lot of tensions we'll say. But anyway, getting back to yeah, so I was interested in like the the, the how representations of, of black identity in South Africa, specifically as it relates to class. I always say like uh, uh, I have like strong faux Marxist tendencies. <laughs> um, yeah, and so it's this idea. Uh, so like right, if you, if you read like like Fanon, right, like like the enemy is the black bourgeois, essentially like like myself, and you're just like all right, how do I not be part of the problem? Um, and so I think, so right, and so in some ways you have uh, this liberator and this like saying like, you know, we have to kill the colonizer and like all these things happen, you know, like uh, an amazing, oh, this is a documentary that everyone wants to see called Concerning Violence. Best documentary I may have seen in the past 10, 15 years. And I see a lot of documentaries. But anyway, but this idea, like they're all like these, like these violent struggles that happen throughout the continent. And so what's left is... Uh, you know, people hopefully now aspiring for more. And so what you have is that you actually have a black middle class now in South Africa. And so I'm interested in these people who they've evolved uh, the, as a culture. But now in some ways it's like, well, like, where are you from? Are you from the township? Are you still like kind of keeping it real? Um, have you been passed? Have you forgot about your people? Like, how does it relate to like interracial dating? Are you allowed to do that? How does it relate to the ANC? It's just like, obviously, ANC was the party of change, the party of revolution, but is it still that? 
what you know, and like, do you have to be tied to that? And I'm interested in these people who kind of stand on these margins, um, who have access to like possibly great universities, but when they get there, if I thought I felt isolated at Columbia, it's 20 times, 100 times more radical and more more discombobulating. And so, yeah, I feel like for me, it became really interested in their story. It's funny, the word folk in, in Afrikaans is uh, like also like the V's and F's with the folk. And so it's kind of a play on this, uh, like, essentially almost like this master race, like during apartheid was called like the folk. Um, and so it was kind of, and then folk, I think is very American sounding. And so it was kind of this play on that. But yeah, so I think that these photographs kind of symbolize this juxtaposition. You know, I'm interested in that in, in, in terms of this, I guess, this class struggle. And then how did you wind up working with the Gordon Institute for Performing Arts while you were there? Oh, that was the come up. See, because once again, like, man, all <laughs> I do is get rejected. Uh, you just don't hear about that that much. You know, like when I talk to students, like it's funny, that's one of the main things I usually try to focus on is just like humble yourself and just talk about how much you get rejected. It's one of those things where, I mean, I applied to the studio museum. I can't, you know, I applied to all these things where I was like, man, I got to get this, you know, trying to get money here and there. Nope. But then it was like this, I applied to this thing and I was like, you know what? I'm all, so essentially I was already making this work. I made like, I probably shot 15 or 20 like plates, if you will, but I had like six that I liked, six or seven. And so like you put those forward and they gave me like $20,000, which is like amazing. Yeah, I mean, in, in South Africa, that's that, like I didn't have to work about. I did because I wanted. <laughs> um, so all of a sudden, yeah, it was just like, you know, hey, babe, dinner's on. Where do you want to go? <laughs> nice. It is. Let's do this. Ooh, I always wanted to go to try some. Let's go wine tasting. You know, like this bourgeois. Too. I got, I got this, this bourgeois in me. I can't get it out. Um, did you say you shot twenty or so plates? Uh, yeah, just in terms of no, no. I, Four by five. Okay. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Didn't, not plates. I okay. Apologize. I thought you were getting into uh, like a wet plate collodion or not something. Even remotely. Okay. <laughs> not even remotely. And so with that grant, the there was the expectation that you would put together a body of work and have a show and lecture. Yeah. And... I did all those things. You have a few lectures. And then I had like my, my first solo show at the National Gallery. It was awesome. Uh, it was just like, yeah, it was, it, you, felt, you felt like I was part of like this art world. Like it's like this thing... Where like it was nebulous, people are having shows and you're not really having any, and you're like, all right, well, you know, I'm still doing the thing, and then you're like, oh, this is what it's about. This is how it kind of works a little bit. Yeah, so it, it was like rewarding, um, really flattering, and then and then they also too, like I'm said, I'm a carrot and stick guy. You give me a deadline, I got a show, I'm gonna come through. Mm. Um, and so you just gotta you gotta put all energies towards that. So you're working 60, 70, 80. You're like, I gotta get this stuff done. You know, yeah. Yeah, and not because I'm some big shot. I got this solo show. It was like through the power of them. You know, it's like you talk to them and like the people there were really, it's kind of mutual beneficial. They, the biggest venue for them looks good for them, but man, you know, and so it worked out great. Yeah, I only have positive experiences, a positive thing to say about that. Yeah, it seemed amazing. I mean, my perspective from here was that you went off and you succeeded Wiley, right? You not only managed to go down there and, you know, live for a while, but you then turned into creating these bodies of work and had this great show. And it seems like uh, looking back, it obviously was the right decision to pack up and go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it worked. It worked. Yeah. No, I mean, it's like it's, so much of life is like hindsight, right? You're like at the time when, you know, 
when it wasn't working, you're just like, well, what was I doing? I'm a fool. Right. You know, you're a fool in love, but you're still a fool. And yeah, no, I, I felt, yeah, I mean, I, I want to get in the teaching gig. And so the first, after doing just the one class, then I essentially had like kind of like three classes and I was like a full-time uh, like professor there. It's called the professor. It's kind of this British system where if you're a professor, it means you're like uber famous, you're emeritus. So there wasn't, I was a, a lecturer. That was the, the terminology. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was a lecturer, which gave me like tons of teaching experience, gave me like a, a revenue stream so that I could do film. Film was really expensive there. Mm-hmm. So I was like, man, I won't, I'm not trying to save it, you know, and then you can't take it with you. So let's like spend the money on film. Let's like make prints. Let's put it up in the studio. I could afford a studio. And, and I guess just to, yeah, to push it forward a little bit. So like I always find in terms of like work. So I was doing the like in people's houses and I always say I almost do whatever like in response. And so it becomes this thing where it's great being in people's spots and having these amazing conversations. And like in like the, the show, I actually had like interviews that I like, I looped these interviews together, and so it was kind of broadcasting um, about like the very nature of the black folk in, in in the exhibit. But I was like, I was so sick of people canceling on me, and like all, oh, and I just you get sick of people. I love people, but you get sick of them. And so then, like the following project I did was uh, just kind of old school, like just me and my camera, like at a at a Hasselblad, and it was just once again, like just kind of it felt more like the bottom. I was just going around. Um, this is funny. Instead of having like 35, though, it's like I had a Hasselblad on sticks. And you used to literally just, you can't see. Well, well, the people can't see. But I had like this over my shoulder. You felt these kind of 18th, 19th, early 19th century fantasies of people like in the national parks. But I like, <laughs> I'm on like the streets of uh, Cape Town. And it was awesome just to be out in the world again, making work. Is this uh, Refractions, Reflections? The, yeah. That, that body yeah. work? Yeah. Yeah. And that's very much about my like disillusionment with this Rainbow Nation BS. Um, this idea of harmony. It's, it's sad. It's like I think I would say the best description or best obituary I read about Mandela is that there were like five Mandelas. And the first three were legit like Steve Biko S revolutionaries. But the last two, I mean it's sacrilege, but he, he was a sellout. It's like this socialist leader, this communist leader, this terror. If Margaret Thatcher calls you a terrorist, you're doing something right. You know, like if Reagan's again, I would, you know, that, that, that it means you're doing something, you know, you're sticking it to them. And he just, I think he sold out his people. It's sad. It's like, it's just the black people in South Africa not doing well as a whole. I don't know what socialism saved everybody. I don't know. I think, it, it, who knows? But all I know is that this Rainbow Nation stuff, people getting along, ridiculous. You could be in Cape Town anywhere, and it's just the majority of people are going to be white. Uh, different Johannesburg, very different Johannesburg. But um, people don't mix. Like my partner, like she's Latina. Latina. Ooh, she killed me. Latina. <laughs> and and uh, uh, it's one of those things where, like, she kind of get, get passed for colored. But people just look at because blacks and colored don't even hang out. And so it's one of those things people are always just like, huh? It, it, the harmony, harmony is ridiculous. It's just absurd. So I was interested in these spaces, certain particular spaces in South Africa. But uh, once again, like kind of the pluralization of the landscape. We, how- we should explain just uh, because we've used the term. I get. I don't think we, we we fully define it. Colored in South Africa is not the same as colored here. C- you know, colored here is is considered derogatory, uh, an old term. Uh, colored in South Africa, you're talking about. Don't don't anyone use that. People, you get hit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> color in South Africa. So, we're, we're talking about skin color, 
as, as, a, as a way of defining a, a, another class, right? Yeah, let me interject. So it's like what happens is that during apartheid, there were, there were essentially three. So for instance, like, you know, it was, I was like, no, it was colored, it was Gandhi. Like, Gandhi was in South Africa. So the Indians, and oh, man, you've never seen people not want to be colored. The Indians are like, we're not colored, we're Indian. But nonetheless, apartheid was like, yeah, you know, screw you. <laughs> you're, you're colored. And so you had colored, and those people who were light-skinned, people who are of mixed race, and so it, it, essentially, and so they, and they compose, uh, comprise rather of uh, maybe ten or twelve percent of the population. Mi- mixed uh, race with perhaps European or Asian descent, right? Yeah, and then also the Khoisan. So it's like kind of like the Native American the equivalent of of Native the Khoisan people, and the majority of those of those people live in Cape Town. Uh, Cape Town's a majority colored city, um, but not eighty like percent. It's not like you know. Atlanta or something like that. It's like 38%, while blacks are like 32 and whites are like 33 or something. I don't know if the math's on that right. But like, it, it, it's, it's not like an overwhelming, but a majority colored city. And so, yeah, that, that's what, it, yeah, it's, it's the apartheid racist classification, but it still exists. And now there's like a, lot, like a lot of pride in like being colored. It's like, no, like this is who we are. Yeah, there's, there's a whole thesis and, and dissertations written about that. And I know, I know so nothing compared <laughs> Who do the research? Mm-hmm. All right, so now you're back, right? So this your, here's you're in transition again. So after how long were you? How long did you wind up staying down there? I lost um, track of years. Yeah, no, yeah, man, it's been some time. Missed yeah, you guys. it was uh, about four and a half years. Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought it was over yeah. four. But now, yeah. what brought you back to the United States of America? Ah, the, the, the sea of of capitalists. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, I can't get away. Uh, no, it's family, family, man. You miss, you miss the, you know, I got a niece and nephew. Uh, I can't tell you how many weddings I miss. Mm. It's just home is home. You know, it's like, it, it, it's right. It's a, and like, I have luxury and the benefit of being, it's, it's so crazy being an American and like, the, the, just the, yeah, the privilege. So I have the benefit of like going home, home being a safe space, right? Like, I think there's more, it's kind of like uh, in Zimbabwe, I think there are more people who live outside of Zimbabwe than like live in Zimbabwe. And so I think a lot of them would love to go home, but, but they don't. A lot of them live in South Africa. And I'm just always thinking about, man, I'm so ridiculously privileged to be like, I want to go home to America. And I can't. And there's like opportunities here for me. Yeah, and, and I also think, you know, there are certain, I think it's good, but I think it's like the certain systems are, are for South African people and like the African people, like the gallery system there, right? So the galleries that I would really like to show at they show um, young and emerging and famous South African artists, you know, Goldblatt, Sabotsky, Guy Tillum, Peter Hugo, these people. Notice I mentioned mostly white people, but I digress. <laughs> and so that's a priority. And then they also show emerging and young and established people from the continent. Like my good friend, Deneo Babape, she shows it. Like, I think, the, I think the best gallery possibly, all of South Africa or all Africa without question, called the Michael Stevenson Gallery. And so like, you know people, and at the end of the day, they show a few famous Americans. So, like, the Goodman were uh, Goldblatt shows, that shows Kara Walker. At where Deneo shows, they show um, Willis, uh, Hank Willis Thomas, right? And if you're showing those cats, I'm not remotely in that league. And so it's just one of those things where, like, I just, I didn't feel like I had the opportunity to, you know, I think maybe in four or five years I do well. I'd love to possibly you know, emerge back and be like, yeah, but at, at where I was going, it just didn't feel like, I feel like I had more opportunities here. And I, I feel like I, I had the, the privilege to, to try to s- sort that out. Um, so you and applied, also, oh, sorry. 
was so, say, so you applied for full time teaching jobs here, right? Yeah, so I was back on the uh, back on that hustle, and so and I can't express enough like rejection, like like so when I applied to grad school the first time, I got rejected. It was eight. Eight rejections are tough. I still have all those small envelopes <laughs> in the box because yeah, yeah, don't get me started. But nonetheless, it's like I think maybe I applied to like it was spray and pray, right? Like, especially in this American system with guns, don't get me started. But, like, <laughs> it was just like, I'll apply to 25, see what happens. Not to denigrate the University of, like, Kentucky or whatever, but, like, you know, it's like, man, I wouldn't even get an interview. I was like, man, I see the website. You can't, you can't give a brother a sniff? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not, you know. But I think what they realized, they're like, they didn't realize that, like, I didn't really want to be. And I'm just applying just to have a, a space. Um, they want someone who really was, like, you know, maybe from Lexington or understands Lexington and, you know, Kentucky. And, you know, but, like, that's just one spot. I applied to it. You name it, I was applying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it just got rejected. It was discouraged. And I said, once you're like eight, you, north of 20. Yeah, because then, once again, then you start to realize, like, what am I doing wrong? And, you know, the world isn't out to get me. If anything, look how blessed I am. I got to, like, re- reconfigure this thing. And so at the time, like, I've been working. It's like, yeah, like, once again, the cream would make better work. So it's like try to make some new work, try to reconfigure the uh, my artist, not artist statement, like my cover letter, all those things. That's one of the benefits. My partner, uh, she's an editor, not only in doing the PhD thing, but so it was like kind of helped me through that. And you're like, okay, this sounds infinitely better. And so did that. And like I did have some interviews, but funny, it was like Skype. I heard someone. It was I think with Patrice it was just like the woman on the phone was like, if you really want it. Like, don't do it over Skype. Right. And I did these Skype interviews, <laughs> and it was just a series of bombs, and yeah, it was it was not, not, not didn't work out. Let's just say. Hmm. Um, and so, <clears throat> this latest go around, I applied. Um, and I always say there's like three stages. You have like there's like a November December thing that has like twenty percent. They have like the January to February. It's like sixty percent, and there's like a late stage. Um, and for the early stage, I applied. I had an interview with Ohio State University, and then they uh, graciously they they flew me in. I had like a final round interview where I, you know I, I met with you name it. Like it was like three three days of just everything's an interview. You know, it's like well, let's get lunch, let's get dinner. <laughs> then then like, you had to make a talk and have a public lecture, and then I had to teach a class, which I I think I kind of bombed. Like it was like. I don't know how, yeah, Mike, I don't know your skill set, but like Kai knows everything there is to know about photography. <laughs> like Kai's like Tom like that. I, I know some things, but I don't know everything. And it's one of those things where they asked me that it was like an alternative process, but I don't know is that. And they asked me to like hand color photographs. But they didn't give you a heads up of the kinds of things they were looking for in the in the interview or in the lecture. Oh, no. I mean, I was prepared now. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, yeah. No, So I, you know, but like, because hand coloring photographs is like painting. I don't yeah. know about paint. Um, I know I don't care for it too much. Um, Wait, not, you not were paint. in Atlanta, you know, the home of Turner. You should know all about uh, colorizing movies and all that kind of stuff. So now that's and now that's what I do. Now I know research. So like, essentially, <laughs> I gave like a history lesson. Like it's crazy, you know. Like you probably do know, but like it was a uh, essentially the person who won like the Nobel Prize for I think physics. Is essentially the person who invented color photography. Like the same person, same thing that gave Einstein. This guy, like that's how important like colorizing and what people like it's like that's so much of a you know a momentous thing. So I was like, oh, I can I can make a lecture on this. Okay, I'm it. But yeah, then I actually had to demonstrate, and it's like it, anyway, 
Point mm-hmm. being, you know, I had to do all these things. Um, but then, yeah, it was like, I want to get in the job. And so now, yeah, now I'm an, I'm an assistant professor out here. Um, I start next week. Great. Uh, Congratulations yeah. again. Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks. I, 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 yeah. That's once again, you just feel blessed. Like, man, there's a million photographers who are better than me. Um, you know, who know more than me, but for some reason, like things worked out. I feel very fortunate. Maybe it was only 999,000. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Cause yeah. And you can't, and like, I guess I just to say to like people who are going through that struggle, you just got to apply. Like you just got to keep and do the research. I guess the biggest difference too, between the two years, like I was more strategic. Like I didn't just apply willy nilly this year it was like all right there were like five or six places that i think are engaging that i think would want me and i'd want to be there and really the one question they asked was like they're just like straight up they're just like i mean they were like so you live in san francisco and they're like, oh, yeah. and then new york and cape town they're like why columbus i was like ooh, like am i just trying to you're like that's a fair question like am i just trying to use you as a stepping stone and it's like and for me like i said i lived in cincinnati like, so in a lot of ways, it's like a returning back to home. Like, like, like I was the best man and like my friend's wedding who lives in, like, I know, like, I got a, I always say I got a bunch of like white nieces and nephew down in Cincinnati you know, who call me uncle. Hey, Uncle Jerry. Like, I got people who I love, like family down there um, who I went to high school with. And so it, it made sense in a lot of ways. And I almost feel like if you like just go willy nilly sometimes, they get the sense it doesn't make sense. And they'll just be like, all right, he just, he doesn't want to be here really. He or she. Sorry, the moment used it. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. The um, who knows how that search process pans out at, at different colleges. I, I've sat on a lot of search committees, and so much of it is is you know how well you interact with other faculty, and even if you think you've bombed that that lesson plan or whatever, a lot of that, a lot of the review of that, you know, back in the search committee is also well. Do we think he could pick that up if he needed to? Most of that is really how they think you're going to interact with students. Um, so maybe even how you handled that failure, maybe even how you handled what you didn't know is a big part of, of how you get sort of judged uh, after that, that demonstration. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it can be so different in so many different places. And, and you know, uh, you may have just connected the right way. There may have been work that they were really interested in seeing more of. You know, they figure you'll, you'll pursue some more scholarly activities. You'll produce some good work. And, you know, there's, there's so many different reasons of, of what makes a good fit. True. True. But the key, just keep up the supply. It's like, don't be discouraged. I feel like I was so discouraged. Um, and also, too, it's like, once again, right? Like, I think there was a job at, like, Purchase this year. I think, I think the last year the job at Pratt. But, like, I swear, there's, a, there's, there's worlds outside of New York City. And, I, and all I'm saying is that, like, I think sometimes people get, like, oh, I'm not a New Yorker, L.A., then I guess. Like, I keep I'm telling Kai this for five-plus years. Like, man, I'm telling you. You'll get your pick of jobs. I just don't know if it'll be in New York City. Like, you're so like intelligent. Like, you have all this great experience. If you ever did want to leave New York City, I think you get your pick of a bunch of jobs. But you know, so it's like, would I love to be in New York? Who wouldn't? But it's just like I feel great that I, you know, that I have this gig and they're like supporting me. So yeah, I guess that I say that to like other people out there thinking it's like you don't have to be in New York. And you can always come visit us in New York, and you have a place to stay. That's right. Yeah. Which I appreciate. So, are there, uh, you know, any final thoughts, ideas, things you've, uh, things you're thinking about pursuing now that you're in a, a whole, totally different place? Projects you're thinking about? Yeah, yeah, I got a bunch of ideas. Um, I want to do some more landscape stuff. Yeah, I want to be out in the world some more. I think, 
I think it's something you need to do whenever you're in a new place. So I got like a landscape idea. I got a show coming up in January at one of like Ohio State, as you can imagine, has like a few campuses. And one of the campuses that's like half an hour or so north, they have like a big gallery there and they wanted to have a show. So like in next late January. That's great. Um, yeah, which I'm psyched about. And what I'm going to do is like I have like an old idea I hadn't completed yet that I'm really psyched because it's only when you have ideas, but they haven't been fully. You're like, yeah, but I, you know, I haven't actually had a chance to really show it. Yeah. So that should be good. That I'm really excited about. What work is the show? It's like the class portrait project I, I, I worked on um, with like the sound loop. But, and I think I may have like I may even have a sculpture involved. I think so. So I'm psyched about that. Yeah, he's got to hustle. It's like, I feel like you realize, like, trying to get, like, this tenure track stuff, it's like, the main thing I need to do is, like, I, I need to have shows. <laughs> like, there, there's a, a huge glaring hole in my resume. It's just like... Is this a tenure track position you're on? Yeah, yeah, fortunately. Fortunately. And so, yeah, you're on that, like, t- so once again, it's a carrot, right? And it's just like, man, I got to get on it. And one of the things I guess I'd like to say, too, I think it's like a connection that I think so far everyone i think it was purposeful for this i guess year of the podcasting is i just can't express enough the importance of like mentorship and i tell it to anyone in almost anything but like specifically as it relates to tom like words can't express like i feel like in a million years like like when you go to grad school and you try to like figure out like is it worth it like the thing i wanted more than anything is like the relationship i have with with tom roma and the idea that like if i'm in new york like he can he'll invite me over to his house we'll have dinner with his wife or if his son's around and it's like a genuine just love and it's love for no reason it's just like i i don't offer much to tom you know like practically speaking but like yeah just i i feel try to find those people because i feel like when i never forget when i was like uh we had open studios once and uh it was uh yeah so it was one of those things where we had open studios and a woman gave me her card and she was just pretty much like when everyone's like Six months from now, no one's in your studio, give me a call. And I felt like, oh, wow, that's the reality. Like, right now, you feel good, people in my <laughs> studio. And I always feel like Tom's that person no matter what. And, yeah. So if I think about that, I get, like, emotional. It's just like, Tom, like, this is just awesome. And it's great to have people like that in your life. And it's like, I always feel like whenever I leave Tom's house, there's almost like a, t- a lot of time I don't, like, start tearing up because I can't imagine anything, like, better than this. So, yeah, no, so I didn't want to, like, say that. I think we all have that in common, like, whether it be Inball, seems like Patrice, Kai. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. I think that's yeah. a great place to end end the show. Thank cool. you very much for uh, taking the time to be on. I mean, this is awesome. Best of luck with everything, guys. Oh, sure. Great, great speaking with you, Jared. Always, Kai, man. Yeah. I miss you guys. I know. Uh, <laughs> that's great. Hope to see you soon. Definitely, man. All right, well, goodbye, everyone. <laughs> goodbye. Cheers. <laughs>